Good evening to everybody out there wishing all of you a blessed Sabbath. Hope that all of you, as always, had a wonderful week. And friends, I would love to hear from all of you. Please do share your praises as I go back and look at all the comments. There are not many people that say much about any praises. So please, I would love to hear from all of you. And even though, you know, there's much to praise God for. Even though we're still in this pandemic time, I praise God that we're not in another lockdown. I praise God that many of us, we have not uh, caught COVID. But for those that have, that I hope and pray that you are uh, healthy and there's no adverse side effects and that God has been with you even in that time. But friends, what are your praises? God is always good. God is always good in spite of plans that don't always seem to go our way or things that happen to us that we think is not good for us. But God is always good, friends. Please do share a praise. I just have one simple praise for this Sabbath. Tomorrow we are having our first baptism for this year. God is good. It was delayed um, one week. I think it was one week. Yes, it was delayed one week because um, uh, the baptismal candidate uh, it was staying with someone who had COVID, but he is okay. And I'm just so thankful that we can still proceed with baptism. One thing I do miss is we haven't had communion in a very, very long time. In this times where people are, are afraid to be in close contact or even sit close to each other, never mind the foot washing. But for those that are able to celebrate communion, you don't realize how lucky you are. It's been over two years since we've been able to do it over here in Malaysia. But God is good nonetheless. We still remember His death, His resurrection, His sacrifice for each and every one of us. Anyways, friends, we are going to get into our study for this evening. But before we do that, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your watch care over us this past week. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful Sabbath that you've allowed us to enter into. And as we come to study your word this evening, we ask for your Holy Spirit to please guide us, to lead us, to help us to understand the truth as we see it there written in Scripture. May your Holy Spirit be the one that will guide us and lead us through all of this, that we might learn important lessons for each of our lives this evening. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our topic for this evening is entitled, Being Reconciled to Your Brother. And, you know, this is a very tough topic that we're looking at today. This is something that kind of strikes near the heart of every single person. Something that we all go through, something that we all experience, something that we as human beings struggle with. But let's start by reading our passage found there in Matthew 5 as we are continuing our series on the Mount of Blessing, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And we are starting here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoso shall say, whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So what does Jesus place here on the same level as killing somebody? The Bible says that whoever is angry at his brother without a cause, which means that someone who is angry at their brother or sister for no good reason. 
Notice that Jesus says that both have the same consequence. If you kill someone, you're in danger of judgment. And if you are angry at your brother without a cause, you are also in danger of judgment. In the eyes of heaven, these two are on the same level, killing somebody and being angry at somebody without a cause. Look at this, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Do you see that, friends? Whoever, what? Hates his brother is like a murderer. You see, John, he takes it a step further. If, you're, if you hate your brother, you, it's, it's almost as if you committed the act itself, murder itself. You know, yes, one is the act, but the other is something that you hold in your heart, something that is in here that you feel, that you think. And, you know, according to Matthew, especially if it's for no good reason, John is saying that these are also on the same level. He agrees with Jesus. But here's the question that we must ask ourselves. Why? Why does the Bible put these two things on the same level? I've not done anything, right? This is just something that I'm feeling and thinking in my heart. But you see, friends, even though one is an action, murder, and the other is just like an emotion, it's holding feelings in the heart, the reason why they are the same is because both stem from the same foundation, which is hatred. That's where murder begins. That's where when we hold hatred in our heart, that really is the beginning of wanting to murder somebody. The only difference is for a person who holds hatred in their heart for a really long time, the only difference is that the person either lacks courage to follow through with actually killing that person or they lack the opportunity. So maybe they move away and they don't see that person ever again, but yet they still really hate that person, you see? So even though one lacks the action, one lacks the outward um, application of it, Jesus says, look, and even John, he says these two things are really the same. And you see, Christ, he's not just dealing with the action. He's also dealing with the root cause from where springs the action, which is our heart. But look, it is normal in a sense to be angry or upset at somebody if they do something wrong and there's a reason behind it, right? So th th there is this kind of, kind of like, I wouldn't say it's hatred, but you're annoyed, you're upset, you're angry. You know, angry is kind of like a really strong word. But, you know, it doesn't mean that we can't be upset at all. Of course not. The difference is whether we hold on to those bitter or upset or angry feelings or not. You see, the passage even emphasizes the fact that there are some that are even just angry at people without a cause, for no apparent reason. I mean, is that even possible? Is it possible to be angry at someone for, for no good reason, to dislike somebody for no good reason at all? Yeah, I mean, it is possible. Let me give you some examples. Racism. Racism is, racism is like that. You dislike a person just because of the color of their skin. They might be the nicest people on earth, but you don't care. All you see is the color of their skin. You are being upset and angry at somebody without a cause. 
Do you see that? So no, there is no room for racism as a Christian. Or maybe you dislike somebody because of how they dress. They just dress really old style. They don't dress in a modern way. They dress like they're living in the 1800s or the 1700s. And you just don't like them. You dislike them because of outwardly how they look in a sense. So it's not just the skin color, but how they dress. You know, in, a, in this day and age that we live in, there are just so many angry people out there. But you see, there's a different type of anger that is stirred up when you see injustice, when you see God being dishonored, when you see His His name being taken in vain, or when you see innocent people that are being oppressed and persecuted, like what's happening over there in Ukraine right now. The Bible does speak of righteous indignation, which can stir a person's heart, which the Bible says it's not sin, it's not bad, you're not going to be in danger of judgment. And, you know, examples that I think of in the Bible where people are, quote-unquote, angry, the first that comes to mind is Moses. Do you know when they came out of Egypt, when Moses led the children out of Egypt, and then he went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. The Israelites had already pledged themselves to God to be His people and to follow Him and to, to keep all that He has said. God spoke the commandments to them in Exodus 20. But a few chapters later, Moses would come down from spending 40 days with God. He would come down and and see the children of Israel uh, that they're worshipping a golden calf. And the Bible said that his anger waxed hot and he threw the Ten Commandments down. He ground the, the golden calf to pieces and he made the people drink it. And eventually he would get the people up to stand up and say, who is on the Lord's side? You come stand on my right side. And he would go, and under the Lord's instructions, they would go and kill the people in the camp that were idolaters and refused to repent. So is there a righteous indignation that God accepts? Yes, there is. There's another one in the Bible, of course, a very clear one. Jesus, when He came to the temple and He saw that the temple was desecrated and and people were buying and selling and and making a mockery of God's sanctuary and where they worshipped, He took a a, a cord of uh, some cords in His hand and made them to whip And he didn't beat anybody, but he overthrew tables and chased people out. There was righteous indignation. And friends, there is room for that. That is not anger for no apparent or no good reason. Let me show you in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. The Bible says this, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, Sometimes we like to look at this, this passage and we, and we look at the last part of the passage where it says, don't let the sun go down your wrath. Always reconcile, always make it right before you go to sleep, right? But yet there is an anger that doesn't lead to sin and that you won't be angry when you go to sleep. It's just, you know, the people that hold that anger on their hearts and that eventually it becomes murder or the type of anger that Jesus condemns, they're holding on to it. They're hanging on to it. But there is a type of righteous anger, a anger that is born of heaven that does not lead to a person to hate the individual, but simply hate the sin. But why is hatred or anger in the heart such a serious issue though? Let's go over to John 8:44. Look at this. The Bible says this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, friends, the Bible calls the devil a murderer. It all started with him. He was a murderer from the beginning. And so hatred must have started with him and originated with him as well. God did not create hate in his heart. No, that came up in his heart. It originated with the devil from the very beginning. And so when we hold anger in our hearts, we are exhibiting, demonstrating, displaying the characteristics of the devil and not Jesus. We are standing under the banner of the devil and will eventually do his works and not that of Christ. And you know, friends, though we may never come to the point of murdering somebody, I think we can all honestly say that when we are angry at someone or hate someone, our actions toward that person changes, doesn't it? It may not be outright animosity or physically wanting to hurt that person or or wanting to murder them, but maybe we start avoiding them. Or we can't stand being in the same room with that person, you see. Or even how we speak to them begins to change. We lose patience with them. We speak roughly with them. And so though we have not murdered them, we can know that when we hold anger in our hearts to somebody, it does change our actions. It changes based upon what we have right here in our heart. And Jesus, He condemns all of that. He wants us to make sure we have no anger in our hearts for anybody at all, that we don't hold it and keep it and dwell upon it and keep thinking about it and talking about it and whatever it is. Jesus, He also puts something else though. Apart from just hatred or holding anger in your heart for someone for no good reason, right? There is something else that He puts on the same level as well. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Look at this, verse 22. We read this earlier. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So what does the Bible say here? It's not just being angry at your brother without a cause, but if you call your brother what? Raka or fool. It's also on the same level. And in some cases worse, because you know, when you hold anger in your heart, you're in danger of judgment. But here, when you call someone a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. So what does this all mean? Let's start with that word Raka. I'm sure that none of us understand what that means, you have to go back to the original Hebrew and look at the concordance and see what it actually means. And that word raka, it just means vain fellow or worthless. So when you call someone worthless or useless in a sense, you are put in the same category as murdering somebody, being angry at somebody without a cause. Why? You see, when we call someone useless or worthless, what we're doing is we are underestimating the value that Christ puts on that person. You see, Jesus, He died for everybody. 
Everybody is of infinite value to Christ. Not one person is worthless to Him. And so when we call someone raka, we call them worthless or useless. We are not looking with the eyes of Christ. We are not thinking, feeling, understanding with the heart of Christ. And that begins to also change the way that we act towards that person as well. Our attitude towards them, how we speak to them, isn't it? All this begins to change as well if and when we call someone worthless or useless. It's almost as if we are giving up on them. But Christ, thank God, He never gives up on any of us. But when we do that, when we call someone Raka, we don't put in as much effort to help them or even to want to minister to them or save them. But God, He's claimed every person as His purchased possession. And even though they might be degraded in sin or just different from the usual people in society, every person must be treated with respect and kindness. So Jesus, He says, be careful. Be careful when you call somebody Raka, when you call somebody useless or worthless. But the other word that we should avoid calling them is also what? Fool. That means dull or stupid or a blockhead. Now in the Old Testament, the word fool was used to designate as someone as an apostate, someone that had abandoned themselves from God and and walked away from God. They were just totally wicked. Look at what the Bible says here in Psalms chapter 14 and verse 1. The Bible says this, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So when we call somebody a fool, we are condemning them as apostate or someone who despises God. And once again, it also changes the way that we think and act towards that person, right? When we call someone a fool, it begins to deepen an impression upon our hearts about what we think about that person. So friends, it's not just our thoughts. It's not just our thoughts, but also what we say, all right? So yes, when we hold anger in our hearts towards somebody, it's on the same level as murder, but we must also be careful with our words of what we talk about somebody, of what we not just think about them, but we say about them. Because the minute we start talking it and speaking it, it deepens the impression upon our hearts and minds. I'm telling you, friends, it begins to change the way that we act towards them. And although this language may seem trivial, you know, small in our day because so many people just call others fool and and useless or worthless. Nonetheless, we need to take heed of our language, of what we say, for surely it's impacting our hearts and our thoughts, and eventually it will impact our actions towards others as well. So yes, what we think, what we speak, better be careful. Because though you might not have committed the act of murder itself, and when you look at that, that, that commandment, thou shall not kill, right? In, in relation to human beings, this is the very worst thing that we can do to somebody. 
killing somebody is worse than committing adultery. Killing somebody is worse than dishonoring your parents. Killing somebody is worse than, than stealing or lying or coveting, right? This is the very worst thing that we can do to somebody. And Jesus is saying what? When you hold anger in your heart, when you call someone a fool or call them worthless, it's like you have murdered them. So we must be careful, friends. Yes, this is not just the letter of the law. Jesus is dealing with the spirit of the law from whence all, all these actions come up from our heart, our thoughts, our mind. What we think and we feel, he's dealing with our character. Because we might say, well, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm innocent. But maybe, just maybe, you're holding anger or bitterness or even unforgiveness in your heart for somebody this evening. Friends, we gotta learn to let it go because that is only hurting us. And it's not that, oh, you don't let it go, you're gonna be kept out of heaven. No, friends, this is gonna affect your life here on this earth as well. Jesus is saying, let it go, give it up, don't hold on to it, it's not worth it. But now, now we come to the second part of Christ's teaching that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 5. We're not done yet. So let's make sure we don't hold hanger. We don't hold, uh, call someone a fool or useless or worthless, right? Raka. But what else? Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother, and then come, offer thy gift. Now, according to this text, who should be the one that does the reconciling? What does the Bible say? It is the brother or the person that realizes that his brother has got something against him. He Notice, he does not have something against that person, but he's coming to the church. He's bringing his gift to the altar, and he remembers, oh, my brother has got something against me. We got to go and leave our gift at the altar there. Don't offer it. Go and be reconciled to that person first. Notice this person who is meant to do the reconciling. He doesn't have any grudge. He doesn't have any problem against his brother, but he is the one that realizes that his brother is not happy with him. He has to go and seek out the one that's got a problem with him and be reconciled to that person. Now, today in our time when, when someone has a problem with us, we don't usually go and approach them. Why? Because it's not our problem. It's not my fault. I, I don't have the problem with that person. He has the problem with me. He should come and speak to me. Why do I go? have to go and speak to him, right? This is our thinking. If he has an issue, he's got to come and speak to me. He's got to be brave enough to come and speak up. It's not my problem. It's not my issue, right? And I'm fine. Why do I have to go and seek him out? Or, you know, we like to reason out and say, well, if I go and seek that person out, they're going to say, no problem. I don't have any issue with you. Even though all the people around him or her can see that they have a problem. Or even though your their, their best friend or whoever has, has told you, hey, this person has an issue with you, and you go and seek them out, we're going to think, there's no use, they're just going to say, no problem, right? 
And so we give ourselves reasons as to why it's not necessary to go and talk to that person and speak to that person and try to reconcile with that person. But Christ says, look, that's not the Christian approach. We need to be proactive and go and speak to that person and try our very best to be reconciled to them. How important or urgent is it? The Bible says we need to leave our gift at the altar. We've got to walk away from saying, I I want to worship God and give Him my best and everything. Stop right there. Leave your gift at the altar. Don't offer it yet. Go and reconcile with this brother or sister. That is more important, God says, than your worship towards me or any gift that you think you can give me. You know, what does the Bible define as reconciliation? When we talk about reconcile yourself, what does this mean though? Let's have a look at this topic of reconciliation real quick for a minute. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, enmity thereby. So to be reconciled means to be in one body, to be totally united. Let's have a look at another text. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Do you see that? At the very beginning, at the end we see the word reconciled, but at the very beginning it says what? Having made peace. And friends, that is what reconciliation is. Learning to put down your weapons. Learning to make peace between two parties and not be aliens or enemies anymore. So the person that doesn't have a problem, even though he or she does have peace in their hearts, they have to go and seek out the person that has turmoil in their heart, that doesn't have peace in their heart, so that there can be peace and unity again. Friends, this is called spiritual maturity. It's not possible unless we ourselves are growing in Christ. Why? Because the human nature is, you got a problem? You don't want to come to church? That's your problem, not my problem. I don't have a problem with you. If you come to church, we talk, it'll be fine, right? But no, friends. When you see that person doesn't come and you know what the reason is, we got to go and seek them out and make things right. This takes a whole lot of humility, especially when it wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. They maybe even misunderstood you in a certain particular situation. The Bible says, go and seek them out. Go look for them. Make it right. This is all about spiritual growth. How do I know? Look at what the Bible says in the Beatitudes. We read this in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are what? The peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Friends, this is not just about helping two parties to come together and have peace with each other. It's also maybe you're one of those parties. Maybe you're you're okay, but the other person isn't. You got to learn to be a peacemaker. This is spiritual maturity, friends. 
And we won't be able to do this. We won't be willing to do this unless we are experiencing those first steps in the Beatitudes, spiritual growth, which is what? Making sure you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, making sure that you've mourned for your sins, making sure that you've realized your need for Jesus. This is all a part and parcel of where we even stand with Christ in our spiritual growth and our walk with Him. So yes, being a peacemaker is very, very, very important. It's reconciliation. And you know, friends, too often, we like to ignore problems. We tell ourselves, it's not my fault. Or we tell ourselves, it's not going to do any good. They're just going to deny it. But you see, Jesus, He never identified who was in the wrong. Maybe the fact is that you did do something wrong, right? And if, if you did, then you definitely have to go. But if you didn't, you still have to go as well. Regardless, we got to learn to be peacemakers. And yes, friends, it, it's happened before. It happens sometimes. You don't say happy Sabbath to someone in church. You don't greet them when they come to church. They get really upset. But it's such a small thing, right? And we can tell ourselves, it is such a small thing. Why are they getting upset? What is wrong with them, right? It doesn't matter. Instead of speaking that way, we got to go and seek them out and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry that you got upset over such a small thing. Don't go in with the wrong attitude, but really with the heart of Christ. Willing to reconcile. Willing to make peace. My brother, my sister, I'm sorry that you felt this way. It was not my intention. Please forgive me. Right? And what that does is it often helps them to be open and helps them to humble themselves and to let go of those hurt feelings and to reconcile. You see, friends, the perfect example that we see, and when I say perfect, you know who I'm talking about. We see that in Jesus Christ. You see, we were the ones that first sinned. We were the ones that first caused trouble. We were the ones that alienated ourselves from Jesus, not He from us. It says here in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, our iniquities, have separated between us and God. And our sins have hid His face from us that He will not hear. You know, when, when God... He cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. It was not His idea to do that. It was just a punishment. No. But He had to make sure that sin was not perpetuated forever by them taking the tree of life and eating from that. But there were consequences. And God, because sin and God cannot exist together, He had to separate Himself from them. Christ, He could have looked down and said, you know what, let me, let me start over. He could have opted to do that. Let me just destroy the earth, make a new earth, make a new Adam again. Let's reset everything. But he didn't. Even though he had to cast him out of the Garden of Eden. Yet, ultimately, what did Christ do? Romans chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, 
when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, you see, said it twice, reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We are hesitant, you know, to die for a righteous person or even a good man, but yet we weren't even good. We were filthy. We were sinful. We were horrible. We were murderous. And yet Christ loved us so much that He would come and reconcile, fix the relationship between us and God, that we could be one again, that we could have peace again. This was born out of a heart of love. This is why I say it's spiritual maturity, friends. If we are growing in Christ, we will have His heart. We will have His love abiding in us. This is not possible. If you come to the situation and someone has a problem against you, your pride will rise up and you say, I don't want to reconcile with them. But Christ, He took upon Himself the form of a servant, came in human flesh, clothed His divinity with humanity just to reconcile us. And when He came, what did we do? We spit in His face. We, we put a crown of thorns on His head. We crucified Him. But yet even then, God say, forgive them. Jesus would cry out, forgive them. Who had the problem? It wasn't Christ. It was us. We were the ones that hated Him. But who did the reconciling? It wasn't us. Not the ones that had the problem. It was Christ. He's the one that came and reconciled this relationship. Why? Because we could never do it. You see, friends, those that hold bitterness and anger and hatred and any problems in their hearts against you, it's difficult for them to let it go. We got to approach them. It was the love of Christ that would break our hearts. It's the only thing that can fight bitterness in a person's heart. It must be melted by the love of Jesus. Friends, if we have the love of Christ in our hearts, we will do that as well. There won't be pride there. There won't be anything of, it's not my problem, it's their problem. Friends, even that is wrong. It is an indication of where we also stand with Christ. And maybe it's just a misunderstanding. Doesn't matter. Go and be reconciled. Maybe it was their fault and not ours. It doesn't matter. Go and be reconciled. The love of God the love of God, only this can help us to heed this instruction that Jesus is giving to us. Look, God does not expect us to die for them. And maybe there are some out there that He will call to do this. But in regards to reconciliation and making things right, how can we die? How, how can we die for the other person? What sacrifice do we have to make? It's a sacrifice of our pride because it's pride that stops us from going to them, because we are not in the wrong, right? Why do I have to go and make it right? It's not my problem. But it requires humility of heart to make things right, friends. When you aren't holding the anger in your heart, when you aren't the one that's changing your attitude towards them, you're still greeting them, you're still saying hi to them, you have no apparent difference between them and the person that you love, because you love them all, you still got to make it right. You got to sort it out for the sake of their heart and their mind. You see, friends, this is going beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's what we studied last week. It's more than just 
keeping the Ten Commandments. It's the spirit of the law as well. It's not just doing the bare minimum and thinking about myself and how I can be saved, right? But it's thinking about the heart and the mind and the peace of others and their salvations because they're the ones that are holding the hatred in their hearts, not me. And they are the ones that will ultimately be kept out of heaven. It's a spirit of ministry, of love. But you see, friends, if there is in fact anything that we have done wrong, we need to quickly in humility confess it before God and go and confess it before them and make it right as well. That is our very least duty. But you see, there was that other side of the coin that we've been looking at all this time, isn't it? However, Jesus doesn't stop here though. As we're coming to a close and wrapping up this this study, there is one little last part that Jesus does mention in regards to reconciliation and making things right. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, shall we? Verse 25 and 26. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What is Jesus trying to counsel here? Seems like it's a bit disjointed and not connected to what we've been studying there so far this evening. But let me show you the passage in the NIV version. It's a little bit clearer, at least for our modern day English. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. You know, what is Christ trying to counsel us here? He's trying to counsel us to settle things out of court as much as possible. Seems like we are the ones that are in the wrong this time. Someone's taking us to court to sue us, right? But it also seems to indicate that there's a problem between what? A brother and a brother in church. It's, it's a church matter. It's between two Christians. And why would I say that? Look, the worldly way is to bring people to court. How else can they settle differences, right? But those in the church, we need to keep things out of, outside of the court as much as possible. Why? Because why should we allow an ungodly person, a person who's not even a Christian, a judge, to come and settle differences between two Christians who are meant to be the children of God? Doesn't make sense, right? Sometimes we just think too much of justice that we forget to be righteous. We must learn to reconcile, even, listen to this, and you might not agree with me, but look, we got to learn to reconcile even if it's at the expense of us losing some money or some property or whatever it is. But let us be careful not to drag our differences and our problems into a worldly court and have the problems of the Christians, the problems of the sons and daughters of God, be exposed to the whole world. You see, the world needs to see that we can stand united, that we can learn to settle differences in the spirit of meekness and humility and not forgetting what Christ has just said. If our brother has ought against us, let us quickly go and settle that matter with them first. That is more important than coming to church in pretense, worshiping God and thinking that everything is okay. 
And I'm sure that God, even if we do do that, He will probably directly speak to our hearts and says, Ben, you got to go and settle your difference between this person before you can truly come and worship me because they're not coming anymore. we got to learn to settle those differences between brothers and sisters, even in church, in church, and not bring it to the court. Let's not learn to air all our dirty laundry in front of the whole world. Let them only see that we are united, that we love each other, that we're not going to sue each other, but that we're going to do our very best to always be united. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and 18 says this, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. This lines up with our lesson this evening. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as what? As thyself. I am the Lord. Friends, this is the spirit of the law. And it's not that it was never taught in the Old Testament. We just read it from Leviticus. This is not anything new that Jesus is teaching. It's just in those days, and I believe even in our days, we've forgotten. We've forgotten the spirit of the law. It's not just about, oh, not murdering, and I'm okay. But do you hate someone in your heart? Are you holding a grudge? Christ is trying to remind us that this is what it means to love our neighbors of us as ourselves. It's more than just keeping the, the written letter of the law. And yes, friends, the foundation is love. But then we need to learn to reconcile our differences. And oftentimes, in order to do that, we must be willing to seek out our brother or sister and to communicate, to make it right, to truly reconcile. Friends, today, if you are holding a grudge against someone in the church, if you have felt offended in any way by what a brother or sister in church has done to you or has said to you, quickly in the spirit of meekness and humility, go and seek out that person to resolve it, to reconcile. Don't let the hurt feelings simmer below the surface and, and, and cause you to change how you would act towards that person and make things worse. That is what the devil would have you to do. And if you realize, friends, if you have offended somebody, quickly go and make it right with that person. Seek out forgiveness. Apologize. Make restitution, whatever is needed, so that there can be peace and unity between each other. For surely the devil is doing all that he can to separate, to, to, to push people away from each other, to destroy the church from within. But Jude, he counsels us this at the very end. Jude 1, 19 to 21. These be they who separate themselves. Sensual, having not the spirit. Yes, we, we, when we are hurt, we've, we separate and we walk away from the church. But you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God and look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Friends, we need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We've got to do our very best to look for that mercy, not just for ourselves, for those people that separate themselves as well. Go after them, reconcile, make it right. When separation happens, it's because there's unresolved differences. But let's keep building our faith. Let's keep ourselves in the love of God and His mercy. And 
as we realize the mercy that we have received, it will then be easier to show mercy to others. Let's do all that we can today to reconcile with each other, to be peacemakers, that we might be called the children of God. Not that I might be called, but that we might be called not the child of God, singular, but the children of God. For truly, then we can be united. Truly, then we can have peace with one another to the very best. This is what we must strive for today. Let's not let it linger, friends. Let's not say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it when I see them. No, friends. Let's make it a matter of priority that truly we can learn to be reconciled to our brother or our sister today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I know that this is such a difficult difficult thing to do. It, it's not easy. And God, I, I know that if it was easy, we'd all be doing it, but we're not. We need your help. We need your love. We need your spirit. Help us, O oh Lord, to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters today. Help us not to hold grudges. Help us not to hold anger. Help us not to think of others as fools or, or worthless or vain. Help us, Lord, to have your love and have a spirit of meekness and humility and have the spirit of forgiveness and peace as well. Lord, please be with my brothers and sisters. I know that all of us, we struggle with these things because we're human and we're sinners in need of a Savior. Please, Father, forgive us and help us to be reconcilers and peacemakers for you today. God is to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining us this evening. May God bless each and every one of you. May God fill your hearts with His love and spur you on unto good works that we might all be reconciled and have peace with one another. God bless all of you. Have a good evening and a wonderful Sabbath. Goodbye for now.